Thanks so much to my next guest, Carl Honoré, leading author and journalist, um, just back from New York. Carl, how are you doing? I'm very well, lingering jet lag, but uh, happy to be back home in London. Okay, so you're you're away in New York, and I see you've just been doing a TED Talk in New York as well. Uh, no, it wasn't a TED Talk. I've, I've already done a couple. This is a, uh, a new venture for TED. They've set up their own online school, a bit like Masterclass. So I was oh, over yeah. there filming, filming okay. a course on how to slow down, which was a couple of days of filming in a Brooklyn studio, which Excellent. was a thrill. Amazing. Kind of yeah. dream come true. Okay. So how to slow down. How did you come ac- across this kind of uh, epiphany of life, Carl, to slow down? Well... I, I was stuck in fast forward, you know, going back a few years, every moment of my day was a race against the clock. And I, I just felt like I was racing through my life instead of living it. And I think when we get stuck in that roadrunner mode, it often takes a shock to the system or a wake up call to make you realize that you've, you've just lost it, right? That you're, you're mm-hmm. hurrying everything. And my wake up call came when I started reading bedtime stories to my son and I, I literally just could not slow down. So I'd be speed reading Snow White skipping lines paragraphs i became an expert on what i called the multiple page turn technique you know where you try and but it it never it never worked and my son would catch me out and say you know daddy why are there only three dwarves in the store you know what happened to grumpy (laughs) yeah and i I, it got so bad that i toyed with buying a book called the one minute bedtime story so white in 60 seconds and that's when i realized i just lost the plot (laughs) yeah amazing what amazing story and how long ago was that carl oh that's going back i mean my son's now 23 so we're going back that's a couple of decades oh wow okay just like yesterday though <laughs> the yeah. shame the shame of removing grumpy from the story so i could get get oh. time done more quickly still hangs yeah. with me today yeah well it's such a wonderful um ethos and it really kind of changes things i think to kind of slow down and live slowly and appreciate the time and also, you have this beautiful book that's just come out. It's The Journey, Not the Destination. Um, yes. I love this book. And how, how did this book come about, Carl? Well, it was one of those things. It just kind of fell into my lap during the pandemic. The publisher, Magic Cat, got in touch and said, we have an idea for a book and you have to write it. And right. I thought, gosh, I've never, written, I've never written a children's book before, but I've always fantasized about doing so as, a, as someone who loves writing, loves books, and has my own children. Yeah. I, I've often thought about it, but I just never kind of got around to coming up with an idea. And the idea was to write a book about slow travel, how to okay. move through the world with less haste and more awareness. And, and I thought, how wonderful. It arrived during the pandemic at a time when I couldn't travel myself. So it was like manna from heaven. Suddenly I was able to travel in my imagination on a magic carpet of and tell stories about it. So it was a real, real lifeline and a godsend for, for me at the time. And, and it's such a thrill for it to be out in the world now. It's just literally dropped. Yeah. And, and people are loving it. So, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, it's a brilliant book. And I, it's quite different, really, from a children's book. You can, it's very beautifully written. So you can tell that, that you're a great writer as well, I think, with it. It's really, really well put together. And the illustrations are beautiful, too. Yes, they are. The, I, I, well, thank you for the. I mean, the writing was such a, a joy. I loved. I mean, I love writing any anything for any audience, but writing for children is is is, is a special challenge because you 
You've got to shave down the language and think about the words you're using. You want them to aspire to interesting words, but you don't want to overstretch them. You know, a parent's there or a grandparent, but they may read on their own. So it was, it was a real thought experiment for me, a lot of fun to put the prose together. But yeah, the pictures are lovely. And, and I, I'm not a, I mean, I, I sketch my, you know, for as a way of slowing down and being alive to the world, but I'm a terrible, I could never do my own illustrations, put it that way. And huh. it was a bit of a, yeah, the journey itself to try and find the illustrators. We tried two or three, and they just didn't work. And then this couple, they're based in the U.S., a young couple, um, did a mock-up for one of the journeys. And both, I, together with my editor, we both looked at them and thought, "Wow, this just totally—they just get it, and it just fit, fit perfectly." So yeah, it was. It was once we got them on board, it was clear sailing. Excellent. And uh, brilliant journeys that you um, have chosen and that. How did those kind of be narrowed down, Carl, for where it was? Well, that was tough, as you can imagine. Uh, I mean, it's 40 journeys, right, which sounds like a lot. But 10 yeah. Are, you know, there are 10 bike, 10 boat, 10 train, 10 walking on your own two feet. And once you narrow it down to 10 in each of those categories, you realize it's not that many journeys when you the world this enormous infinite smorgasbord of places to travel and adventures to happen so i I spent a lot of long nights of the soul tossing and turning trying to work out you know do i keep machu picchu the inca trail and you know lose the cycling round the baltic sea you know it was a constant uh trade-off but in the end I, i landed on 40 that i thought yeah these these 40 work it's a nice sweep across the planet different mm. approaches and yeah i don't i don't feel like i left anything on the cutting room floor that's going to keep me tossing and turning at night anymore yeah well it's wonderful and also i'm really uh pleased that you have two in scotland as well which is great you have the yes loch yes. lomond mm-hmm. and the west highland way in it yes yeah fantastic both, both of which i've done and both of which are gloriously have you done uh, the west slow, highland way experiences oh how did you find it I found it very soothing, almost spiritual, and yeah. restorative. I mean, I do, I, you know, walking, the, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge walker. I love hiking and walking and so on. And yeah. to be somewhere, I mean, I've got Scottish roots myself, having been born in Edinburgh. So I have a kinship with all things Scotland. Anyway, oh, lovely. But yeah. to get out into the countryside and walk the West Highland Way. I mean, the Highlands are just one of my favorite places to yeah. strap on a pair of boots and just walk off into the distance so it was, huh. a, it was a treat I'd done the walk and then to write about it afterwards for, for children it's um, yeah, yeah. It was a real pr- privilege okay and what time of year Carl did you do the West Highland Way I would have done it in it was, it was that's going back a few years now it was spring so okay. and we were we were very lucky with the weather because anyone who's walked in Scotland knows <laughs> you've got to have <laughs> you've got to bring along <laughs> the um, rain some, some, some waterproof gear yes but we, I don't think at any point that we busted out it would be the, um, the gods of snow travel were smiling on us ah uh, that's good and you didn't the other great problem of um the Scottish Highlands, of course, is the midges. You weren't attacked yes. by them, or were you okay? Not especially, no. And I don't know if the midgey problem is receding. Or I mean, I was up in the yeah. Highlands again, up in, up in the Mira Ward last year. Oh, lovely. Walking, and, and we, there was no, it was very few midges. It was, um, I don't know, perhaps maybe my, I'm wearing the right cologne. I'm not sure what it is. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, seen, I remember having a big problem with them sort of 20 years ago when I started venturing into the Highlands, but... Not so yeah. much lately. Maybe maybe something's changed. Yeah, I think maybe they have. They've calmed down a bit. But um, was it over a few days you did the West Highland Way or did you kind of um, 
take it in time staying at different places or how long did it take yeah um no we did we spread it out over days and stayed in different places and so on um, yeah i can't quite remember how many days it was now but i think that's the way to do it right not to, yeah not to rush. make it into an <laughs> item on your to-do list exactly where you're ticking boxes and rushing through you want to be able to yeah to glide along in your own time at your own pace and and also to to stop and stare and, and think well we thought we'd move on to the next place but actually we're enjoying this one so much we're going to stay here a little longer so i think that's the ultimate luxury and the ultimate way of Yes. Travel, right is not to be the slave to a schedule and forced to comply with deadline after deadline and that's 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 the death knell of a good of a good of a good walk uh, yeah the, 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 the way to do it is to keep the schedule open and go with the flow right yeah yeah absolutely and how about some of the other journeys in the book have you did you do a lot of them yourself as well I haven't, done, I haven't done all of them so for mm. me in a way it was kind of a mixture between revisiting trips and adventures I'd done in the past and compiling my own bucket list for the future <laughs> so, so yeah it's a, mix, it's a mix it's a mix of the two I mean I have for instance walked to Machu Picchu uh, but I haven't drifted down either the Nile in Egypt or the Mississippi River on a steamboat um, or any other kind of vessel. So those are things that are you know, hopefully in my near future. Yeah. And it's exciting to be able to write about them and to experience them in a way vicariously because for each journey that I hadn't done myself, I spent a long time reading other people's travel blogs, watching videos, looking at of photos. Of course, yeah. You know, reading all kinds, just trying to immerse myself Immersing. in, in yeah. the experience. And, and that, of course, gave even more appetite to visit those places in the future so i have a very long i mean even longer travel bucket list than i had before this project okay wow and where of all the places you've been to carl because you must have traveled so much where are some of your favorite places in the world well one of my favorite places in the world is not actually in the book it's the the alpiplano in bolivia oh wow. it's a kind of harsh austere moonscape in the andes with incredible skies and the light is so pure and stark and it's very sparsely populated by um, Andean peoples who dress in incredible colorful robes. And it's just, I I just find that place almost spiritual. Mm. Uh, It didn't didn't fit for the book, but that, that if someone says to me, where would you go? If you had one place to go, I think it might just be the Bolivian Altiplano. Oh, beautiful. And you've lived in quite a lot of different places, haven't you? You said you were brought up in Scotland, you went to university in Edinburgh, and brought, then yeah, lived well, in Canada. In, oh, no, sorry. I was brought up in Canada, so I was born in Scotland. Okay. I, we, left, we left when I was six months old, so okay. I, I have no Scottish Short accent, time. And, I'm, <laughs> and I'm Canadian. But yeah, I came back to university in Edinburgh, and then I lived in uh, Brazil for a while. I worked with street children there. Oh, wow. Start, started working as a journalist. Then I lived in Argentina and Buenos Aires for three years. I was a foreign correspondent, covered South America, so I did a lot of travel down Exciting. there. Exciting. Yeah, and, wow. Uh, Buenos Aires must be beautiful. So you're you're fluent in Spanish then, as, as well as French too, or...? Yes, and I speak Portuguese, and my Italian's pretty good too, especially after classic camping. <laughs> Excellent! Wow, well, that that's great. So now, though, you're based in London. Yes, yes, okay. this has been home for a long time now. Yeah, and how do you find the um, the kind of the switch from journalism to writing books? And um, it's kind of it's kind of a different world, really, the media today, isn't it? For Writers. Very, 
Yeah. I well, I, I mean, I think I got out of journalism at just the right time okay. because when I left, people still had time to think, write, yeah. metabolize ideas. Now, now it's just bang it, get it out the door, and move on to the next thing. So I feel like I got out in the, in the nick of time. Yeah. But I feel like my my writing, my books. I mean, the the children's book is different. Obviously, it's the journey not the destination, but all my other books are very journalistic in spirit and approach. That's true, the way yeah. that I write them. Um, so I just feel like I've gone from writing journalism, which was a sprint, to writing my books, which is a marathon. So it's <laughs> a different rhythm. Uh, yeah. The, 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 the way of being in the language and playing with ideas and trying to get people to see the world from a different angle is exactly the same. So it's, it's the yes. same kind of work, but just done at a different scale. With yeah. a different tempo. And I, I love it. I love I love the book thing much more than the journalism now. Yeah, you have you have a lot more space to say really what you want, isn't it? So get your yeah. get your message across. But yeah, I love your book also about aging. Uh this is, this is a brilliant book. Um the book came out uh, a few years ago. Um the book a couple of years ago now yeah called boulder yeah boulder yes brilliant book so carl how did this book come about well as with the my first book in praise of slow and the bedtime stories epiphany i've discovered that all of my books start from a personal existential crisis of some kind okay and that, was a, that was the same with boulder i was playing in a ball hockey tournament um, oh yes in the, north, yes in the north of england and and you know playing well having fun uh, scoring uh, scored an amazing goal I came off and I just I was so I discovered that I was the oldest player at the tournament and I knew I was of course one of the oldest I'm not deluded but something yeah. to be the oldest just totally rocked me and I saw I began to think well do I look out of place here should I stop playing hockey are people laughing at me should I take up a more age-appropriate pastime like bingo maybe <laughs> and I don't know it was just suddenly the idea that my chronological age had this terrible power to define limit me yeah just shook me shook me and I thought this can't be right. It, I'm, you know, there's no reason for this. Why is why are the numbers on my birth certificate suddenly blocking me? Why are they stopping me from living the life I want to live? So I, I began to delve into all of that and to rethink and reframe aging for the 21st century because we are actually entering a golden age of aging. It's never Absolutely. been a better time to grow older. In yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a brilliant book though. I really enjoyed it and. Uh, so many great points that you put across and you must have traveled a lot for this book as well because you researched so many um, unique places where people are living to uh, so much longer and yeah it's fascinating yeah it was a lot of travel and uh, very eye-opening for me as are all my books right I'm learning along with the reader as I travel around the world through Asia yeah. Africa Latin America Europe everywhere North America and I go down into the trenches and, and ask questions and spend time with people and try and learn yeah. from their stories yeah. and experiences and so on. And that's, um, yeah, mm. I, it's, I sort of feel like I write about things. My, writing my books is a form of therapy for me. I'm trying to fix myself. <laughs> <laughs> and it just so happens that I, it ends up having the same effect on readers, which is um, a happy coincidence. Yeah, very, very, very good. Because, yeah, can you tell us a bit about some of the places you visited um, for the book Boulder? Because you went to Japan, Italy. Um, where else did yeah, you go? I, I mean, just everywhere. I mean, I went across North America. It was it's Spain. I went to Chile, um, South America. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just because, you know, we all have skin in the game, right? We are all aging, whatever culture we live in. And what I always find useful and helpful is to go around different places in the world and see what the local filter is, you know, what, what kind of spin 
is the local culture putting on the idea of aging or ageism? Absolutely, and, 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 yeah. And the, and the rethink and the reboot around aging. So, yeah, and I found especially Asia, the Pacific Rim, particularly interesting because I think in the West we have an idea that they've got aging right, that somehow they look up and to and venerate older people and aging is on a pedestal and everybody's looking forward to growing older over there. That's just not true, right? I mean, the cult of youth is as rampant in Japan and South Korea or Hong Kong as it is in London, Edinburgh, or Paris, right? So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, for, I'll give you one, just one, one example. that um, In South Korea, the, the, the rate for plastic surgery now, they have the highest rate per capita of plastic surgery in the world. Wow. Along, up there with Brazil. And yeah. I can tell you that no one, no one in South Korea is going under the knife in the hope of coming out looking older, right? No one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're all trying to look younger because they have all been infected by the cult of youth just as much as we have in the West. So that was, to me, an mm. interesting yeah. eye-opener. The, the fact that the, this is everywhere, right? This idea of, of younger is better, that aging is somehow some downward spiral into a hellscape of dementia and depression. And, you know, yeah. of course, there are, there are downsides to aging, but that's not the whole story. Many things stay the same as we get older, and many actually get better. So there's a much yeah. better story to tell about aging, and that's what I was hoping to yeah, do. Yeah, uh, great, Boulder. very positive. And, I mean, I think things are kind of changing now, because you look at, like, sort of women in fashion, and there's a lot of models who are a lot older, and they have gray mm -hmm. hair, and, you know, they're, like, in their 70s 80s and you know they look amazing so maybe the cult of youth will not last as long as it's intended or i don't know i think so i think the dial is moving and the tectonic plates are shifting i mean the world is is growing older uh, mm -hmm. by the day and that makes that makes a difference it's harder to dismiss and denigrate a growing chunk of the population yeah especially when so many so many of them are taking life by the scruff of the neck and just the other you know i've I, one of my favorite TV shows at the moment is called Hacks. It's a sort of comedy about, it's about a comedian in, oh, in her 70s. Oh, I've heard Yeah. Yeah, it's very funny. She's a comedian in her 70s and she's, you know, living in Las Vegas doing a residency there. And, you know, she is the star of the show and she is a, she's playing a 70-something, a real character, fully rounded. It's a 70-something actress. And that actress oh, cool. just won an Emmy for Best Actress in a TV Series, you know. And, and yeah. I think that just shows that there's, the culture is making more room for older stories, people yes. of older you know, vintages and later life and showing that later life can be a time of wonder, laughter, learning, yeah. romance, every, everything, right? You know, if you come yeah. at it with the right attitude. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes along with the concept of the slow travel, the slowing down as well, because if you are living for so much longer, then you may as well kind of take your time about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. I mean, I think that's one of the, the the big benefits of embracing this idea of aging as being an adventure, right? That at every stage you can light yeah. it up and hit home runs. You know, that takes so much pressure off the earlier years because mm. if if you think that it's game over at thirty or forty, yeah, then think of the the, the deadline pressure you put on yourself to, you know, find your best career, find your life partner visit all the places you want to visit <laughs> do all, you know all that stuff you have to do it by 35 because after that you're yeah you're waste you're waste it's a wasteland you know take that away and suddenly you've got decades we've all got seven eight maybe nine decades of life to play with and i think mm. that just allows more oxygen into yeah. the equation and more room to maneuver 
and more room to kick back and just go with the flow and take your time working out what the right next step is for you rather than feeling you've got to jump in rush yeah. because time is ticking it is ticking but there's plenty of it <laughs> yeah that's very true i like that and what carl would you say are some of your tips for kind of slow travel how's the best way to go about this now well, my first tip is always just do less, right? Uh, don't mm-hmm. pack your schedule full of stuff. Pick one thing a day, maybe, or two, and, and, and just give yourself completely to those moments rather than ticking boxes and racing from one thing to the next. A second yeah. tip has to do with tech, technology. You know, screens, tech can be really helpful when you're on the road, but but they can also be weapons of mass distraction. Right? <laughs> turn off turn off your phone. Right? Yeah. Bring it out when you absolutely need it, but the rest of the time, put it to one side. Don't feel you've got to photograph everything, right? Look at things. Look at <laughs> yes. them. Take, time, take time to stop and stare. Yeah. You'll remember, you remember it in a different kind of way with, with, with more nuance and more emotion than if you just fire off your iPhone and move on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, so those are a couple of ways to, to start. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true, not to photograph things, because not only that, you kind of lose your own uh, personal experience of it, or whether it's a concert or a walk in nature or something, but then you also have so many photographs on your phone that ultimately (laughs) (laughs) what happens, you know, you have to delete them or buy places to store them or, yeah. And it also, and not only that, having having a massive photo library eats into your time, right? Because mm. you're having to manage the library, you know, yeah. trim it down, get it, you know, dig photos. <laughs> it just uh-huh. you just end up in this downward spiral into lack of time and constant rush chasing yeah. your tail. So you know, less is more. Take pictures on holiday, of course, but think about the pictures you're going to take. Take few and yeah. make sure that you're you're always approaching a moment first through your five senses. Let those light up and show you the way into the moment and then afterwards take a picture don't arrive at the moment with your camera out how can i take a picture (laughs) that's the best way to spoil the moment and, and never really live it or remember it later yeah that's true absolutely and how about carl when you're writing and you have a writing deadline um how do you manage the that kind of uh time scales and with deadlines like that yeah, well, I've, I'm actually very good at deadlines. I've never t- touched wood. I've never missed one. In fact, <laughs> often, I'll, often I get my stuff in early. And the way I do that is is I, I resist deadline panic. Because right? <laughs> yeah. when, when you get into deadline panic, you think, oh, no, I cannot leave my computer. I've got to sit here banging away until I get this, this stuff done. When, in fact, that is the worst way to write. You need I mean, writing with any kind of work, but especially writing – is peaks and troughs. It's up and down. It's like a it's like a symphony. Sometimes you're going to surge. Other times you're going to go down to a slow adagio. So make sure you take breaks. Right. Mm, yeah. If you're stuck, if you're stuck, get up. Go make a cup of tea. Go for a little walk. Do some yoga. Do some breathing exercises. Read some poetry. Just change gears. Shift into tortoise mode for a bit, and then that allows your brain to refresh, reboot, and recharge. You'll then come back to your computer, and the thing you were unable to unpack. And the knot you were unable to untie before, you often find you'll untie it instantly because the subconscious is working on these ideas yeah. when you get away from the cold face. So make sure you shift gears. Yeah, sometimes mm. you've got to sit down, roll yeah. your sleeves up and bang out the words. But that's not all writing. A lot of writing is, is actually not writing. It's just wandering uh-huh. around, going for a long walk, letting yeah. your mind play 
with the That's words true. and the ideas and the structure. And you'll find that you get a lot more done in less time, which is what I call the delicious paradox of slow. But by slowing down judiciously at the right moments, not only do you get things done better, you often get them done faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's really interesting. That's a really um, good point as well, though, about writing. And Carl, what inspired you, first of all, to become a writer and journalist? I think two things. One, I've always had a love of language, uh, just the sound, the way it looks on the page, and the way it can reshape the world and, and the way people feel about it and the way I feel about it. So it's from a very personal, almost aesthetic point of view, I get the language is something I knew I wanted to work with. But then I guess I first found myself in journalism because I've always had a save the world syndrome. <laughs> I always okay. wanted to go out and, and, and just save it, right? And I, I, I felt the language and telling stories and exposing injustice and explaining things to people in new ways was a, was a wonderful Way to yeah, do that, right? amazing. Was, so, you, you, so, yeah, so I guess I, I started off in journalism and at some point decided that I was not really saving the world there. I feel like kind of doing my little bit with books and talks and, and so mm -hmm. on now. Yeah, brilliant. So, um, yeah, I'd love to see more about your, your TED Talks as well and uh, the TED Academy that you were just doing that. So mm -hmm. how can people find out more about you and your talks sure. and your books, Carl? Very easy. I have <laughs> one link where everything is. So talks, book, my books, audiobooks, courses, you name it. Everything you would ever or more than you would ever want to know about me and my work is at info. So okay. my name, no punctuation, Carl Honore, C-A-R-L-H-O-N-O-R-E dot info. It's all there. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. And on uh, social media and everything, people can find you. I'm super easy to find there. I'm active. I answer. And you can find me everywhere, Instagram, everywhere. It's Carl Honore, just my name, Carl Honore. You'll find me. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Carl. It's been fantastic to speak to you. Hope we might chat again another time. And uh, well done with the book. It's a journey, not the destination. It's such a great book. Excellent. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, Tessa. I hope we do it again. Okay, <laughs> thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you. fragrances, candles, room sprays, perfumes and colognes by Tessa Williams.